Thank you for joining us in worship today. The service you are watching was recorded on July 23rd, 2017. We will return to live broadcast on August 6, 2017. Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. The first lesson this morning comes from the Old Testament book of First Chronicles in the 29th chapter. Let us listen that we may hear what God will share with us. Then David blessed the Lord. In the presence of all of the assembly, David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In all your hand are power and might, and it is your hand to make great and give strength to all. And now, O God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. But who am I? For and what is my people that we should be able to make this freewill offering? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are aliens and transients before you, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you search the heart and take pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our ancestors, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading comes from the book of Matthew in the sixth chapter. Chapters five, six, and seven of Matthew's gospel are known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it is a collected set of teachings that Jesus uh, provided for his, uh, for his disciples and for the crowds that followed him. There is a uh, location in in um, modern-day Israel that is the traditional site for the Sermon on the Mount, and it's next to the Sea of Galilee. It is like an, a sloping uh, side of a, of a hillside that runs down to the, to the water. And if you could imagine yourself, transport yourself back to that place. And when you hear the words of the, any words of the Sermon on the Mount, think of Jesus speaking to that crowd and also to you today. So let us listen that we may hear what God will share with us in Scripture. Whenever you pray, 
do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. The word of the Lord. Prayer. Sounds like a thing that people of faith are supposed to do, right? As Christians, we think that we are, and we know that we are instructed to pray. In our service today, there are several different places where we offer prayers. And we pray together because we are a community. Have you heard that before? If one of us suffers, we all suffer. If one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. We are connected. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. We are part of a body, the body of Christ, the church. It seems that people have an innate desire to pray. Several years ago, a colleague of mine gave me a, a book by Larry King, the television personality. And it was co-authored by a rabbi, and the foreword was by Robert Schuller, who you may have known, remember from the uh, Crystal Cathedral in California, uh, the Hour of Power television show. Um, Robert Schuller was a, or is, is a re, uh, minister in the Reformed Church in America. Those are, those are Presbyterian cousins. Um, and the title of the book that King wrote that Larry King wrote was called Powerful Prayers. And with this attestation from a rabbi and from a Protestant minister. Prayer is something that seems to be human in our desire, and yet also it can be very specific to our Christian situation. One summer when I was in graduate school at Auburn, before I went to seminary, before I was a pastor and I stood up in front of people and preached like this, before that happened, um, I, had, I went and lived in Atlanta. Uh, Vicki and I did, went, went to Atlanta and we, we lived, I was doing an internship in, uh, in an archives there in the city. And there were two other colleagues from my program that were doing, that, that were there as well. We rented a house that was, um, owned by Agnes Scott College. One of the uh, professors lived there and we had some connections and it allowed us to essentially house sit for these folks for the summer while they were away. Um, it was a, a big rambling house uh, right across the street from the college, uh, and Victorian in style, very large. Uh, Vicki and I lived in one half of it and the other two folks lived in the other half of it. 
one night we had socialized together, we had gone out and seen a movie, and when we came back, we discovered that our home had been burglarized. Somebody had crawled in a window and, and uh, it, it, was, it was sort of, it was a mess. Um, now, the people who resided there year-round had secured their valuables, and the four of us were in graduate school, so we didn't have anything to steal, but they stole it anyway. And the, the stuff we had was sentimental in nature, but uh, it was gone nonetheless. So our space had been violated, our, our world had been rocked, as it were. We called the police, and they came. They dusted for fingerprints, they asked us what had happened, they filed a report, and they left. You may have been in a situation like that. What do you do? Your, your world has sort of been turned upside down. You've spent several hours trying to assess what has happened, and then you've got the mess to clean up afterwards. What do you do? I don't know where the idea came from, but somewhere from deep inside of me, I said to the folks there, I said, let's pray. And we did. There in the, the common living area we had, we, we gathered together and we, we prayed. I don't remember what we, how we prayed, what we said, or the things that were there. I just remembered that we prayed, and somehow it made a difference. It made a difference for us. Prayer is a tool of faith that we have. It is one of the tools that we Christians carry around with us. We have resources that we use, the Apostles' Creed and the Ten Commandments. The Lord's Prayer is one of those tools as well. And we pray because there is a need to pray that we have, we feel, and we also pray because Jesus taught us how to pray. Jesus shared with us how we are to pray. Prayer is used to acknowledge that there is vulnerability, that we have something that we need. But there are other parts of prayer as well. Sometimes we pray just to give thanks. That's what the Old Testament reading was about in First Chronicles. David was giving thanks as part of the process of building the temple. It was not only thanks for what was there in the present, but he was also giving thanks to God for what had happened in the past, bringing that place to that point in time, and also looking forward to what was going to happen in the future. We pray to give thanks for that which is now, but also to acknowledge what happened before and in anticipation of what is to come. We pray because we have a need. We pray to give thanks. We pray to share hope. But let's be honest. Sometimes there are things that happen in our lives that, that are really troubling and traumatic, and things don't work out the way we want to, them to work out. We pray for things, and they don't come in the way that we think. We have a health concern, or we have a job situation, or we have a personal relationship, and we pray for something, and what we pray for doesn't quite happen. It happens in life, and we are to struggle, so how do we find our way forward with that?
In Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, in chapter 11 of Luke, the disciples actually come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus provides a very similar prayer to what is in Matthew. And in both places, they speak, there, is a, there are words that speak about guidance and instruction as we face challenges in life. There's a quote that is attributed to the uh, writer um, C.S. Lewis. The quote goes, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all of the time, waking or sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. Some say that this is not actually a Lewis quote. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes me. The origin of the idea that prayer doesn't change God, but that pray, prayer changes the prayer is not quite certain. While it can, has been attributed to Lewis, there are other places that it may be found. But it's been around for quite a while. And there are some who critique that idea because if they say if prayer doesn't change God, then how do we know uh, what good is it? What, what, what power does it have? But I would hold out the notion that when, when we are changed, when you are changed, when I, are cha when I am changed, or when we are changed together as a community, something very profound has happened. And God pays attention to that. God listens to that. When you start a new job, when you begin a new relationship, when you move into a new phase of life, you've moved from one place to another, you uh, are starting a new part of life, things change in your life and, and you change. When you marry, you bring someone into your household and you form a new household. When a child is born, a new force of life happens. When someone leaves your community, there is a way of which that, that needs to be addressed. There are voids that happen and there are spaces to be filled. The Lord's Prayer, as one of our tools as Christians, is an outline about how we are to relate to God, how we can relate to God, and God relates to us, and how we deal with each other. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These three pieces speak about the way God is known. God is special. God's name is hallowed. God's name is holy. God rules in the world, and God, God's presence undergirds the world. Jesus called God Abba, which is translated means Father, from both Hebrew and Arabic as well. But this divine Father is more than what we think of as a father. In Genesis 1, God is, uh, the, the, in the creation story, God created man, male and female, God created us. God is not male, God is not female, yet in our world we have that binary understanding of gender and it 
draws our attention to that. The challenge is how do we live together so that we don't subject each other? Jesus calling God a father, God, God, Jesus calling God the father, goes way beyond anything that we can imagine in our human relationships. And yet, we only have human relationships to think about. God is not like the father who loses his temper or bumbles around as an, and is inept or commits abuse. Nor is God simply like the very best human father on steroids. God's fatherhood is something much more, something more beautiful and profound that we can only get a glimpse of in our human relationships, for it is a divine relationship. God's presence is life-giving and good. God's will is there for us to follow, and we pray that God's will will be done. God's rule will fill the earth. George Buttrick has written that when we pray for God's will to happen, there are three things that happen. Thy will be done to me. There's a note of resignation in that. There's a note of acceptance that, okay, let it happen. Thy will be done through me, which means I get to sign up and be part of something that is bigger and more uh, exciting and wonderful. Thy will be done for me and others. There may be a note of anticipation of joy. God's will be done for us in the world. That first set of, of, of that first part of the prayer speaks about God's rule, God's will, God's name. God creates, God rules, God names in our world. The second section speaks of things that are of human concern. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. And do not bring us to the time of trial. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These are places where we join together praying not simply for ourselves, but when we pray, we pray for the world. We pray for others. We pray for those to whom we are connected with. Provide daily bread. Don't provide cake. Don't provide things that will spoil. Provide things for us to use daily so that we may make our way in the world. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins, other translations have, trespasses. Our sins, our debts, our trespasses. Forgive us the things that encumber us, the ways in which we have given over parts of ourselves to some other power or entity. And help us to forgive those who have transgressed against us, for whom we have accumulated sins or debts or trespasses. And then lead us away from the bad stuff in life. Don't let those things happen to us. There's a 
line that says, um, someone once said, I don't need to pray uh, that phrase, lead us not into temptation, because I'm going to find the temptation all by myself. And that's true. We will. Um, but that also lets us, speaks to something that's true. There is a problem of evil in the world. There are bad things out there. One of my mentors, Al Wynn, puts it like this, the problem of evil is much greater than just the problem of your sins and mine. This world which God created fair and good has somehow departed from its maker. God's name is not presently hallowed as it should be. God's rule is not presently done promptly and perfectly and willingly. There is at work in the world another will, an evil will, a will that resists and struggles against the will of God. It is a master organizer combining our sinful wills into a vast network that seems far greater than the sum of constituent parts. There is evil out there. Bad things happen. Yet there is a power that is outside of ourselves that we rely on to change the world and to change ourselves do you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel? They were Jewish, young Jewish men who had been taken into captivity into Babylon. The Babylon king, Nebuchadnezzar, had issued an edict. He had put up um, golden images, and he said everybody had to worship the golden images. And these three young men said, we're not doing it. It's not part of our religious tradition. The, the commandments say we are to not have any graven images before us, and so we're not going to do it. And the king replied that they would, if they did not do it, they would be thrown into a fiery furnace. The response is found in Daniel 3. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. They expected to be delivered, yet even if they were not, they were convinced that what they were doing was the right thing and they would stand in opposition to evil and tyranny and idolatry. That's powerful stuff. That is what prayer allows to happen. The world is dangerous. Prayers will be answered. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego held out to that. But even if they are not in the way that we want to, there is something beyond what we know. There is life beyond death. New life is offered to us. It is offered to us here and now. It changes the way we orient our world and our, we see our world. It, it changes us. And there is also life that, will be, that can come. The second challenge is what happens when we pray and it doesn't happen. I've been there on any number of occasions. You may have been it too. There's no denying it. The world is a mess. There are people who are seeking destruction on those who are not like them. We've, we have political leaders who speak for their own, who seek their own 
aggrandizement, their own benefit, and not to serve the needs of those for whom they are responsible. We face accidents in the street where folks' lives are altered by the fault of someone else or maybe by their own inattention to detail. We want things to be different, but somehow when the end of the movie comes, we simply walk out on the street. What can we say in the face of evil? What can we say in the face of difficult situations? We say at the end of the prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Amen. That's what we say. We add a doxology at the end of the prayer. Faith is not always simply a conclusion. Therefore, we follow all of these edicts. We check all these boxes. Therefore, this will happen. Faith is like saying, nevertheless, God rules and God reigns. God creates, God rules, and God reigns. God provides, God forgives, God leads. Nevertheless, this is how we shall live, even faced with challenges we will not serve the gods of others. Why do we stand up and sing the Hallelujah Chorus? We do that a couple of times a year in this church. We sing the Hallelujah Chorus, and it's a big deal. It better be on TV, I've been told. Right, Tom? Yeah, we have to get it on TV. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it, the choir does a great job. And we stand up. And why do we stand up? Because when it was first performed, um, or when it was performed one time for, the, for one of the kings of England, he stood up. He was so moved, he stood up and out of respect. And so the tradition is you stand up when you sing the Hallelujah Chorus. But there's some other reasons that we stand up. We stand up because it is like making an exclamation. It is like saying, yes, it's true. The power of God to be at work in the world is true. Can you hear it? The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We give thanks for a tool that we may use that shares life in Christ with us now, here, and for all time. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.